Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about veggies, flowers, and all the best dirt. I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma. And I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. Good morning, Carol. We're recording in the morning this time. We are. Good morning, Dee. You get to see me at my worst. I haven't done my uh, walk on the treadmill yet, and uh, yeah, the hair's looking bad, but you love me, so it doesn't matter, right? That's right. So what <laughs> follow-ups do you have from last week, Dee? Okay, so I have a little bit of old business. Here's my old business. I ordered, because I'm insane, I ordered this cool little three-vase. Um, I, I would say it's for starting plants. You see it a lot. I'll describe it really quickly. Little wood frame, little rod that goes in the middle, and three glass vials, which are little vases, right? And I got it off right. of Etsy, and it's super cute, and I will link to it. But let me just tell you, it's a piece of junk that you have to put together. <laughs> But it is cute once it's finished, right, Carol? You're looking at it. I'm looking at it. And, yeah, so you you ordered that online. But if you had seen it in a store, would you have bought it? No, I would not have bought it. No, I would not. Yeah. So there's something to be said for going to a store. Yeah, there is something to be said for going to a store, but... Unfortunately, no stores here had this. And, you know, can anybody else tell it looks cheap? No. But when it came, it had, like, no, um, I had to put it all together with no instructions, which I did. So, by myself, my husband had nothing to do with it. Because usually I ask him to do stuff, but this time I thought, you bought this piece of junk, so you're putting it together. And I did. I put it together in a few minutes with some help from some pictures. Um, The other thing I got in the mail I'm really excited about, it's the string of hearts plant. It's the variegated one. What's that? String of hearts. We talked about it. I don't know which episode it was, but it was the succulent vining episode thing anyway we were talking about succulent vines and string of hearts has little heart-shaped oh i know it was the valentine episode little heart-shaped leaves ah i never had a variegated one before i've always had one that is not variegated this one has pink white and green leaves and it's so tiny but you know what it's already growing in the windowsill so i'm pretty excited about it so i bought string of pearls this last weekend Guess where I bought it? I don't know. Where did you buy it? At a garden center in New Orleans, Louisiana. Oh, that's right. You went to NOLA. How fun. I went to New Orleans, otherwise known as NOLA, for a long weekend with family. And I had a great time. D, at the garden center, it was like walking in a time warp. They had the vegetable plants out. They had all kinds of house plants outside they had lemon trees orange trees blueberries Mm. everything with leaves on it it was amazing so that kind of brings us to zones and um how different your zone is from new orleans which by the way they pronounce it norlands 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 so they part of the part of norlands is zone 9b and part is 9a and my niece and her husband live down there in 9B. They have a palm tree in their backyard. They have a kumquat. They have an orange tree. They have a couple lemon trees. Um, yeah, it's incredibly different. Yeah. It's and inc- I'm in 6A. Right. And you're in 7A. 7A. Yeah. So, yeah, 
They get a few freezes during the year, but um, for the most part, they can grow stuff year-round. Yeah, I don't think their freezes are hard freezes either. I think they're kind of a soft freeze, like soft-serve ice cream. We know all about hard freezes, though, don't we, Carol? Yes, we do. (laughs) Did you just love it? I enjoyed being down there, but the pollen count was really high, and that kind of bothered me. But I think you could get used to it. We ate at some great restaurants. We rode the streetcar. I um, got everybody convinced to go to Longview House and Garden, which is a great place to go see an eight-acre garden and estate, and it's open to the public every day. And I also convinced my niece and her husband that we should stop by the garden center where they often go, and they've gone enough times to know the staff, so I got introduced to their, their David, who is the guy who always helps them with their plant choices. And so we got to talk about, you know, my niece wants to put some ground cover in the strip between the sidewalk and the road and talked about the different ground covers that she might use. So she's got a pretty good idea of what she wants to do once she removes the grass. So it was fun. Yeah, sounds fun. Sounds very fun. And that's where I bought the string of pearls at the garden center. I have a string of pearls, too. Did you know that string of pearls blooms in the greenhouse in winter, as does string of hearts? Wonderful. Well, pretty soon, and maybe next week we can talk about my crocus lawn that's starting to really bloom nicely now. But you want to move on to our first flower topic? Yes, except for I think you had a bit of dirt. We're going to do the dirt out of order. How did you go to Longview, and what is your tip? My tip is to join the American Horticultural Society, and first of all, you'll get a lovely magazine called American Gardener, but second of all, you'll get a membership card, and that membership card is good at 320 different public gardens across the United States for free admission, and it's often free admission for you and a guest. And so Longview, Longview, um, it costs $12, and... I got in for free, and then one of the people, one of my party got in for free. So right there, $24 value, pretty much paid for the subscription and the membership. It's a great deal. And not only that, when you, I want to say a little bit about the magazine, The American Gardener. All the people who write for that magazine write for it out of the love of their hearts, and they're all very professional writers who do a great job. It's one of the best magazines that's produced right now in the United States. Yes, one of the best for gardeners. And so we recommend it, even if you never go to a public garden, get it for the magazine. But as you're planning your vacation, and we know all you gardeners out there, as you plan for your vacation, you're looking to see what public gardens are nearby so you can drag your family to see them like I drug my family to see Longview Gardens. But they really loved it. They they had a great time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I dragged my family all the way through Bell. Is it Bellevue? I can't remember the name of it. I dragged them through it up in uh, the Pacific Northwest, and um, they were not so thrilled. But that's okay. They got over it. You know, I've never been to Longview. I need to go. My niece that um, lives down there, she took a brochure and made a note. There's going to be a big iris display. I think it's the first weekend of April. And so she wants to go back with her husband and check out all the irises. She really loves irises and wants to put some in her own garden. So she's going to go back. 
Irises do a great, are really great in um, hot gardens, too. They love the heat, and they will produce for you like crazy. We're talking about bearded irises, right? Yeah, and there's some, actually, Louisiana has native irises, the Louisiana irises. That's right, they do. Louis, and they need a lot of water. So there's many people in Oklahoma who want to grow Louisiana irises, and it's hard here because it's too dry. They almost need a boggy kind of effect and all that humidity like Louisiana. Um, let's move on to our flower. I'm excited about our flower this week. I am too. Probably, probably on in a week, I will go and buy my violas and pansies. Mm-hmm. And that's our flower this week. Violas and pansies, which are cousins of a different size and color. Um, violas and pansies are part of the same family. And people ask me all the time, what's the difference? And basically they're cousins. And pansies are bred to have a nice big flower, usually that has, well, sometimes it can be ruffled. Sometimes it has a, a face. But it's known for a bigger flower and a more compact habit unless it is a trailing pansy. Um, violas, on the other hand, have much smaller flowers, produce way more of them, and they make these little mounds. I don't know if they do this in Indiana, but in Oklahoma, they make these mounds of color. So you really get a great effect if you grow pansies and violas together because you get more flowers. Yes. And you get more of a spread, which is nice. Um, what do you want to say about Violas and pansies. Well, I want to say about pansies. Um, I went to a program by a woman named Martha Barnett who has a, a podcast, and it's actually on the radio. It's called Away with Words. And she talked about how the German word for pansies, which I don't know what it is, um, means mother in law's face. Oh, and funny. so when you look at those little pansies, sometimes they look like they got scrunched up little angry faces. Oh, that's funny. And so I, I look at those little faces on the pansies now, and I think, you know, that's somebody's mean mother-in-law. <laughs> but I just thought that was kind of interesting. That's cute. I never knew that. That's a good one. Um, I will say this about pansies. You say you're going to plant yours in about a week. Here's the interesting thing about my weather right now. Normally, I plant pansies in the fall, and they produce a really nice show in the fall. And if we have a good winter that isn't too, too cold um, for too long, they will overwinter and get bigger and better in the spring, especially if I feed them a little bit. Okay, so here's the deal. I also go back in the spring, and I plant more pansies to kind of fill it all in. And I often have a really good display, and I'll show some pictures from past years. This winter, my pansies are all doing fine that I planted last fall, but I haven't planted any new pansies because there are hardly any in the stores in Oklahoma. They're just starting to come in, and that's because we have had a really cold spring this far, really cold. But you, but we never know what kind of spring we're going to have. If we have one of those springs where it really isn't spring, it goes from winter to summer, it's really hard on the pansies. They don't like heat very much. No, they don't like heat at all, and so in my garden... I tend to plant them around the beginning or middle of March, and then by Memorial Day, they look pretty stressed, and I yank them out and replace them with summer annuals. And I also don't try to overwinter pansies in Indiana for two reasons. (laughs) First of all, it gets too cold in Indiana to really get them reasonably over the hump of the winter. And second of all, 
when I plant pansies in the fall, and I do try to plant pansies in the fall, I want those dark brooding colors. I want orange and really dark yellow mm-hmm. and dark purple, almost black. Yeah, that really dark black. But color. in the spring, in the spring, I want pink and lilac and white and light yellow. I want the bright springy colors. Mm-hmm. So that's why I don't even bother because I want different colors for different seasons. I totally get it. And it's too cold where you live. So we do it some is. of both. But if you live down in like New Orleans, which, you know, I spent a week in there, Dee, so I'm practically an expert totally on their gardening an now. now. Yeah, right. <laughs> My niece, I said, she said people tend to plant their pansies around uh, Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. They will overwinter very nicely. And then about this time of year, it's time to start thinking about replacing them. So she can get a good five months out of pansies and color all winter. And that's totally worth it. Wow. Yeah, we don't get that. We get probably a good two and a half months in fall. And then we get a good mm, three months in spring, maybe. Because I'm pulling mine out about May too, because they just get long and leggy. Now, I will say, if you did plant fall pansies in Oklahoma or Texas, you need to go out and kind of trim them up. Because they, they'll grow from their roots. Pansies are truly a perennial. It's just we can't grow them as a perennial in our parts of the world. And so they, um, they will grow and do great if you will just trim them back some. So Right. And I, I, I rarely grow them from seed myself. And so people say, well, what's your favorite variety? And I'm like, my favorite variety is what's growing at the greenhouse around the corner. <laughs> and we kind of have a little understanding at the greenhouse that as soon as the pansies and violas are ready for sale, they contact me and I'm like their first customer of the season. And I run down and I buy flats of those, but you, you found some interesting varieties elsewhere that I would love to find, but I'm, I'm too loyal to my greenhouse around the corner. Well, just ask your greenhouse around the corner to grow these because you can buy the seed. I should. They can buy the seed wholesale. And the truth is we can buy the seed for a lot of these uh, retail if you want to start pansies early. I should have started them months ago. So I usually buy from my local greenhouse and my local um, – sometimes the box stores have good pansies too – Um, I buy from both, but here are my favorites. All right, so I love Imperial Blue, which was an All-American selection winner in 1975. It does not have a face. It has a dark blue center and a yellow eye. Very, very pretty, and I actually plant that one up at my church, St. Mary's, in the spring because St. Mary's, you know, Mary Blue, I plant blue pansies. Or I plant— Well, stop right there. Stop, D, stop. I have to have faces on my pansies. I really don't like So imperial blue, I would just pass by because it doesn't have a face. I got to have faces on like the pansies. I don't like faces at all. Well, I got to have faces, so keep going. Okay, I got to okay, have the I'll face. Okay, I'll keep going, but I'm telling you, it's really beautiful. Then there are the antique shades, and it started out with imperial antique shades, and they do not do well in Oklahoma to overwinter because they are not very good. They're not very cold tolerant. Okay, so there's a new and so you don't want to plant the Imperial Antique Shades or any of the other Antique Shades as part of your fall pansy project. You want to plant them as part of your spring pansy project. So I like Imperial Antique Shades and I can almost always find it. Um, We've linked to some places where you can get seeds. Also, there's a new improved variety called Promise Antique Shades Improved. They wanted to make sure you knew it was improved and then also there's heat 
Um, there's another antique shades called Nature Antique Shades, which is sold by Florette. Um, all of these have kind of that really beautiful, soft pinks, yellows, cranberries, um, kind of off-white. I'm telling you, they're beautiful, though. And some of them do have faces. And then, but here's the one I want to try, and I hope I can find it locally. It's called Heat Elite Pink Shades. And I saw where you could... That sounds good. Yeah, it does sound good for my part of the world. But I should have bought... Um, I should have bought seeds earlier, but, you know, I didn't think about it. I have too many seeds going anyway. Well, we should tell our our listeners, we're talking about seed sources for pansies and violas. But really, unless you live pretty far north, like zone four maybe, or th- even three, it's too late for you to go buy pansy seeds and start them yourself. Unless you're doing them for You're at the fall. point now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Even now, it's too early for fall. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I would, I would definitely go and be buying the plants in the next couple of weeks in my case. And so if you live a little colder, you got a little bit more time. But if you're down by D, you're definitely not going to start seeds. No, you're not going to start seeds, and you need to go buy your pansies right about now. As soon as they start showing up at the store, I saw that my local nursery had some, uh, but nobody else really does. I mean, I even looked at the box stores, and they were barely out. So what do you want to talk about next? We've kind of, oh, well, we didn't really talk about violas at all, really, but they're just great. Pick out whichever color you want and go with it. Yeah, violas are actually, I actually like violas more than um, pansies. And the most common viola that most people recognize is the blue and yellow viola that's usually called Johnny Jump Ups. Right. And I can get Johnny Jump Ups to almost naturalize in my garden. I get seedlings that come up around the places where I planted them, and I just kind of let them go. It's never going to be invasive or anything like that, but it's sort of sweet when they just show up. I have Johnny Jump Ups, too. I, they also reseed here with Abandon, but they're not bad. They just reseed, and actually that's really nice in the early spring, and it helps the pollinators. Right. And you get um, white, blues, yellows, purples, and, of course, the Johnny Jump Ups. And I put those in a lot of containers. Yeah. Now I'm ready to move on, D. Oh, okay. I was going to say that Johnny Jump Ups, you could just scatter some seed in your garden right now, and they'll come up, and they'll be fine. They're pretty heat-tolerant, yes. considering. So, there we go. On to our vegetable selection. Okay, the next thing to plant in the garden is the peas. You talk about peas. Okay, so I peas, going out and planting the peas is the first thing that I do in the vegetable garden and in my neck of the woods, the traditional day for planting peas is March the 17th. And everybody says, oh, it's, it's still so cold out. Well, the air temperature doesn't matter as much as the soil temperature. As long as the soil temperature is 40 degrees or warmer, then you can sow peas and they'll germinate. And then people say, how do you know it's 40 degrees or warmer? How do you know? Well... I know because I have a soil thermometer, and I take the I take the temperature of the soil at about one inch down, which is the planting depth. Oh, good grief! And you're like, seriously, Carol? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. D now, does not do that. <clears throat> I do not do that. I just uh, every, plant them at the end of February, and I don't worry about it. 
It's it's part of the whole ritual of it, D. You do a lot of ritual, and considering that I am also Catholic, I get all the ritual I need there. Okay, go ahead. So, um, the last ten years that I've done the soil temperature on March the seventeenth, it's always been warm enough. Yeah, but I still take the temperature anyway. Okay, whatever makes you happy. I um, have a question for you. Go ahead. Do you use pea and bean inoculant when you plant your peas? No, I'm too lazy for that. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it was all the rage for a few years there, and I'm not saying it doesn't help yield. I mean, I don't know. I've done it both ways, and the truth is I couldn't tell a bit of difference. What I do do is I go scoop up some of my shredded leaves and the ones that are really, really shredded and ground up, and I can see all that great... Uh, mycorrhizae in the soil that naturally occurs in Oklahoma under the leaves. And I scoop all that up and I put that in my hole and that's what I plant my peas in. I just don't worry about the rest of that stuff. And I do not take my soil temperature. I just do them at the end of February because that is when in north central Oklahoma, that's when you should start them. And they work great. I actually have no trouble with potted peas. Now let's talk a little bit about shelling peas. I have trouble with those. Well, before we start talking about that, there's three basic kinds of peas you can grow. Four, if you're going to count sweet peas, but we won't talk about those yet because they're not edible. The, the inoculant that we're talking about is like live bacteria in sort of a powder form that you put on the soil. Mm-hmm. And then it helps the pea to be able to fixate nitrogen in the soil. Right. So I'm a, I don't do it. And like you said, if you have a good, healthy soil with lots of organic matter you do not probably need an inoculant but if you makes you feel better you're probably not going to hurt anything to do it right other than your wallet because you're gonna have to pay for it yeah because it's not cheap if i remember right so i just plant the peas in good amended soil with lots of organic matter and in my case that usually means shredded leaves right and so there are snow peas there are um shelling peas and there are snap peas mm-hmm. and the you you grow mostly snow peas and snap peas mostly i have grown shelling peas in the past but they don't do as well here we don't have we sometimes have too short a spring to get them to really come to fruition but we can get a whole lot of snow peas and snap peas yeah and snow peas are the it's basically the flat pea pod and you don't really get the formation of the peas inside the pod and, you know, it's in a lot of uh, Asian dishes and different things is to throw in the snow peas. They're delicious. Right. They're good in salads, too. Yeah, they're faster to be ready to eat. Yep. And then the snap pea, the best way to describe it is that the peas kind of plump up in the pod, but you can still eat pod and pea, the whole thing. Right. Steam it or whatever. And you can harvest them, you can harvest them earlier than you would shelling peas. And shelling peas is what I grow the most of. And Mm. shelling peas, you actually have to open the pea and take out all the seeds, basically, to eat. So you get peas. Right, you're eating fresh seed is what you're eating. And it's delicious. It takes about two months in my garden to get the shelling peas where they're ready to pick. And I always Mm -hmm. advise people, my favorite variety is an old one called Green Arrow, because you can get seven, eight, nine peas in a pod because it's very labor intensive to 
open those pods and scrape out those peas to get a, right. a big mess of peas. So you want a lot of peas in the pod. Some varieties might have three to four, and they're kind of a waste of time. That's not enough. That's not enough because it takes too long to grow them, and it takes a lot of work. We should talk a little bit about trellising. Yeah, most most peas need some sort of support. I I have just like a these wire a wire wicket fence that's kind of attached and it's about three feet tall, and mm-hmm. uh, I put that down and then I sow the seeds along the trellis, and that provides support. They they have to have support of some kind. I grew mine. I've grown them on various things over the years, but last year I invested in uh, trifold trellises from Gardener. I think it was from Gardener Supply. I'll put the link on here, and uh, they're a pretty color. They're red, which red is a predominant color in my vegetable garden. So I do that, and they're made out of the same wire that they make tomato cages out of, but they don't rust. Um, I don't stab myself with them. I mean, I've had some bad luck with. You know, I've done a lot of different fencing. So I did this last year, and I probably bought six of them because I grew a lot of peas last year, and I guess I'm going to grow a lot of peas again this year too. Right. And then there are some, I'll call them specialty peas, that are just fun. If you have little kids or if you're just like D&I and are obsessed with gardening, there's a variety that's called Sugar Magnolia that has a purple pod. and So pretty. It is, and it stays purple after you cook it. Which is very nice. A lot of purple. Purple-ish, but. Yeah. <laughs> D and I debate. No, it doesn't really stay purple. Yes, it stays purple. You're cooking it too kind much. Of pur- purple blue. Um, okay, so the other thing I was going to say about it, though, is you want to harvest those fairly early. Yes. Because they do get kind of, what's the word for it? Tough. Uh, they get tough. Tough and. Stringy. They don't. They don't taste sweet anymore. They taste like starch. So do those early. Yes. Okay, so that's one of them. What's another one that you uh, The other like? one that I really love, it's a burpee exclusive, and it's called Masterpiece. And the tendrils on oh, it. yes. The tendrils on it almost look like a big tangle of lace. And it, it is really, really good. Yes. Those tendrils are delicious in all kinds of dishes. Yes. Great thing for a salad garnish or whatever. And oftentimes... Mm-hmm. I have some big containers on my back patio, and I'll put a few um, seeds of Masterpiece in the center of the container, and then around the edge I plant violas, and then it, it's a really pretty display for spring to see that. That would be a pretty, that would be really pretty. Because Masterpiece as a pea does not get that big as no, a plant. No, you're really buying it for the tendrils. Yes. Partly because it's pretty and because they taste good. Um I was going to ask you something about that, but now I can't remember what it was. So we're moving on. All right. So last year I grew sugar magnolia, and I have some pictures of it that I'll post. Um, I also grew golden sweet snow peas, and I got to say they were beautiful and delicious. And I need to go buy some more seed because I forgot how beautiful they were, but I was looking through my pictures, and I was like, yeah, growing those again. Another uh, purple potted pea, but this is a snow pea, is called Royal Snow. I have not grown that one before, but it looked really good, and it's at Johnny's Seeds. And then this year, I'm growing Super Sugar Snap, because Super Sugar Snap uh, makes lower vines, uh, a little bit more dwarf, and because I don't want six-foot-tall vines in my raised beds. It's too tall for me to get to the peas. And the other thing is, is they're really, really sweet. And if I'm going to grow a sweet potted pea, I want it to be sweet. Right. And that's the thing we should tell people. You want to get the peas early, like you said, 
because if they they have a certain sugar content and if they get older they that turns to starch and then you're going to think that homegrown peas don't taste good and they actually do that's all I'll ever eat homegrown peas are delicious and when we were in England they served um, alongside one of Bill's Andres mushy what they call mushy peas and it's just where they've taken the peas and mashed them like mashed potatoes but left a few of the peas solid and they just get you know they have great success growing peas so they have a lot of them anyway it was one of the best things i ever ate in my life and i'd never done them that way well and they have great success because they have a cooler over all summer and that's the other mistake that people make is you know may when you would traditionally go out and quote unquote plant your vegetable garden is too late for peas peas right and people think well they're not going to live in march and it's like yeah they're going to be fine so get out there in the next couple of weeks and plant peas from yeah, seed. Yeah, plant peas. Plant peas now if you live in Oklahoma, right now, because that you want enough time for them to mature. Someone told me this morning that our weather is going to be under the normal for all spring, and so that'll be good for peas, even if you forget to plant them now. So do you want to talk about any other vegetables, or do you want to save that for another episode? You know, let's save the root vegetables for another episode, and we can also talk about planting by the phases of the moon. That sounds great. We'll do that the next episode. Now, though, we have one other tip for our readers, and I guess this is more dirt for them. Let's talk a bit about grafted tomatoes. So this week is double dirt. Double dirt. Grafted (laughs) tomatoes, American Horticultural Society. Yeah. Okay, so grafted tomatoes. You go ahead and start. So with grafted tomatoes... Um, a lot of people have problems with um, disease resistance in different varieties. Uh, they might have nematodes in the soil, and they just struggle to grow a good tomato. And if you buy grafted tomatoes, you get a stronger plant that probably will do tons better for you, especially heirloom varieties that don't have the disease resistance. If you buy an heirloom grafted tomato, it will perform so much better. And that is because... They take a real strong rootstock, which is almost from a wild plant, and then they graft the um, top part. It's called the, the I say scion, scion, scion. They graft yeah. that from an heirloom tomato right. onto the rootstock, and then they grow that. It fuses together just like apple trees are grafted and roses are grafted. Well, some vegetables are grafted, and it's a technique that goes back Hundreds and hundreds of years back to China, they used to graft vegetables to different rootstocks. And and you'll get a great, right. strong plant. And you've grown some, right? I have. I have. I've grown a seed variety of San Marzano right next to the grafted San Marzano. And you wouldn't even know they were the same variety. The, the seeded one by the end of the year was a straggly mess of blight. And I got very few tomatoes, but the grafted one was a strong, healthy green plant, and it was loaded with fruit. So I I think they're a good thing. Oh, I think they're a good thing, too. They're expensive, but they're good. And here's the thing. People think that they're GMOs. They are not GMOs. Grafting is an old, ancient technique. GMO means genetically modified organism. And really, GMOs, for the present time, are just in the top five or six um, agricultural crops. Um, People can't, regular home gardeners, as of this moment, cannot buy GMO crops yet. 
And so hopefully they'll never come to us. I hope not. Um, but the thing about grafted tomatoes, they're a little more expensive because it takes time to do those grafts. Those grafts have to be done by hand. At least I think so. Right. And those grafts also have to, you have to have a pretty good greenhouse in the right growing conditions. So it's not something that you can attempt on your own in the normal home. So you can order grafted tomatoes online Mm. from a few sources. And also in my state, um, the nursery that is, you know, our local nursery has carried them in the past. And um, they, they carried the ones by Burpee. So I know that we have had them here in the past locally. You just have to ask for them. Right. And so our dirt, our tip is order them now because they know how many they have and they will sell out online. Or go to your local greenhouse and tell them you are going to buy grafted tomatoes. Make sure that they're going to order some. Yeah, because my my criticism of the local nursery would be that they haven't really explained what the grafted tomatoes are. So when they put them out with all the other tomatoes, people don't buy the grafted ones because they're really expensive comparatively. But if they give you a lot more fruit and you aren't fighting late blight, early blight, nematodes, fusarium, fusarium, and all the other stuff that you can get... Um, I think they're worth the money because I fight nematodes in my garden. And in the past, what you did to stop that is you just moved crops around. Well, I move crops around all the time, but I only have so many raised beds. And so I never get rid of the nematodes entirely. And so now I, I do grow some grafted tomatoes. I grow some of both. And then our last tip on the grafted tomatoes is once you get them, You have to plant them so the graft stays above ground. You don't want, on the tomato, roots will form on any section of the stem that's below the ground. And so on a seed-grown tomato, you want to plant that really, really deep, and you'll get a lot more root growth. But grafted, you want to keep that graft above the soil line. You don't want the top part to root because those roots will take over for the graft, for the root part, and you don't want that. You also don't want stems coming up from the bottom of the graft either because then you end up with some weird, wild, crazy tomato that takes over your whole garden and gives you lousy fruit. So there you go. There you go. So, Dee, I think that concludes this week's podcast. I think we've covered everything. Man, we talked about a lot of stuff today. So we have gotten a couple of nice notes from from listeners, and we really appreciate those. And you can email us at thegardenangelist at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your comments and get your questions. Uh, when, do, when are we doing the giveaway? How much longer can they enter the giveaway? The giveaway ended last night at midnight. And after our go. call here, you and I will select the winner and I will ship out the books. They're going to get Seeded and Sodded Thoughts from a Gardening Life, which is my new book. And they're also going to get the new Terrarium by Tova Martin. Yay, that sounds fun. And we did get a lot of comments this week. We want to thank everyone who entered. And next week we will tell them who won. Yes. And so we can be found on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter as The Garden Angelus. We're also on iTunes. So if you want to subscribe, you won't miss a single episode. And we'd love to get your review on, on iTunes. That helps us go up the up the standing so to speak and makes it easier for other people to find us yes and when you subscribe to us that also helps us go up and you don't miss a thing that's right so until next week d until next week when we chat over the garden fence i hope you have a great time in the garden everybody else i hope you do all right bye bye
get your review on on iTunes. That helps us go up the up the standing, so to speak, and makes it easier for other people to find us. That's right. So until next week, D. All right, bye.